G'day and welcome to Crack the Cast. This is the Oceanic branch of the Vassals of Kingsgrave Game of Thrones review series. Today we'll be discussing episode 7 of season 7, entitled The Dragon and the Wolf. My name is Duncan, or Velcros on the forums, and today I am joined by... Donna, Team Donna on the forums. This is Bing, Shushan on the forums. David, David HHH on the forums. And this is it, guys. Final episode of the season. I can't believe it's gone so quickly. <laughs> I, it's almost over now. Well, it right. sounded like, yeah, it was going to be more than a year till the next one, um, which would be interesting. Right. So what, what did you guys think of the episode? Donna, did you want to start with your lemon cake rating? Um, I, I, for a finale, definitely like five out of five. Um, I thought it was one of the most exciting endings that Game of Thrones, like season finales that Game of Thrones has done. But it, it's kind of like in places it's like beyond ratings for me because I can't really understand what they're doing and all that kind of thing. So I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it. There's, there's no buts. I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, the episode itself, probably a four. Um, it's, it's, considering what went on yet, uh, the episode before, this was wrapped up better than it could have. Doesn't, it doesn't make the process that it got to this episode any less stupid. Hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and th- so, 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 so it doesn't, it's not a substitute for the steep drop in writing that the season has experienced. Um, and I think that's part of the problem with the show now is that the writers have several points they know they can get, they want to get to, and the points themselves are fine. And but it's the problem with how they got there. And I think that's that's actually been a problem with the show for a while now as they move past the books. Can Bing's re- review be mine? <laughs> no Sums stealing reviews. it up reviews. a lot better than I could. No stealing reviews. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four. I could go like at least a half a point in either direction on that, depending on which day you ask me. But in general, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was somewhat uneventful for such a 80-plus minute finale. But all those character moments I love and, you know, we'll get to the specifics of later what I did and didn't love. But overall, it was enjoyable. It was fun. There wasn't a lot that surprised me. I expected most of the major things that happened more or less one way or another, you know. You know, and it's funny because I look back as I watch this. I actually watched this one in a group of uh, science fiction fans at a party. And we watched the last two episodes and then this. And, you know, last week after all that we said, I watched this completely turning my brain off, partially because I was partially drunk. But, you know, and last week I loved it. And when I didn't think about it, I loved it. And that's probably what I would say about this episode. If I didn't think about it, I would love it. But I do think about it, so I'm giving it a four. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm going to give it three lemon cakes. Um, It was a pretty solid episode, but nothing really wowed me. I I did like how they slowed down a bit, Mm -hmm. took a bit more time to breathe, focused a bit more on dialogue and character. I think that's where Game of Thrones really shines. Mm -hmm. I was was actually disappointed with the meeting of Danny and Cersei. I thought that that pairing had a lot of really great potential in terms of verbal sparring but they didn't nothing really came of it in the end um however i did really like the scenes between the lannister siblings i think there's a sort of a lot of twisty history between those characters and it bubbled nicely up into the performances the end of the winterfell plot it was satisfying but as bing says it doesn't make any of the preceding scenes any less confusing or frustrating um overall i like that the episode dealt with 
broken families, like trying to mend and, and not being able to, or, or trying mm-hmm. to overcome. It felt like a lot of the characters were trying to like lay everything out in the, in the open to own up to their past and try and move on into some kind of future. So I like that kind mm-hmm. of connective tissue between the scenes. So yeah, overall, an okay episode. Um, and was this the longest episode ever? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. It definitely felt it was, like it. It was not only the longest episode, but this intro scene, if you take like all the connecting bits from part to part, was probably the longest scene ever. Because realistically, almost everything that happened in the first 45 minutes flows from one moment to the next. Right, yeah. Okay, so starting with King's Landing. Team Danny and Team Cersei and their respective armies all converge on King's Landing for the Westerosi Peace Accords. They meet in the Dragon Pits, and Tyrion reiterates the need for a ceasefire so that they can address the much larger threat amassing in the north. They present their captured white as proof, and Danny confirms that she and Jon witnessed at least another 100,000 beyond the wall. Cersei is visibly rattled, and Euron bails out of the meeting, declaring his intentions to take his navy and flee back to the Iron Islands. Cersei agrees to the ceasefire, but only if Jon swears that the North will remain neutral. Jon takes this moment to reveal he has sworn allegiance to Danny, and Cersei storms off in a huff. Tyrion meets with her in private for the first time since the trial of Joffrey's murder. They both despise each other, and it nearly comes to blood, but Tyrion notices that she is pregnant and manages to convince her that there is a future for the Lannister family worth protecting. Cersei agrees to wed her forces to Danny and Jon in defense of the realm. That's it, like a whole episode. If you if you think about it, that's an entire episode's worth of time they spent on that scenes. <laughs> right. And it is the most main characters. I mean, Game of Thrones is so right. much uh, a show about distance and characters being isolated <laughs> from one another and only hearing about each other from secondhand accounts and trying to anticipate yep. moves and all that. Whereas this is probably the first time you've had this many characters in a single location. Since the premiere. Since right, the premiere. Course, the since premiere Winterfell. scene, yeah. that very first scene, because I counted 16 main characters in this in these scenes, which is about a record other than maybe that very first scene when Robert arrived in Winterfell. I liked it. I liked the character interaction. I liked... Just the looks that they were giving each other and trying to figure everything out. Um, I was a little bit creeped up by Kyburn's heart on over the hand. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I swear you could actually hear his erection. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it needs to be like that erection sound from the Archer series for Kyburn just laid over there. Um, I'm sure but, somewhere he has a crate of severed hands that he's collected from all over Westeros. Yep. Jamie's is there and all the other ones. <laughs> But this, this one's is moving. The first one that moves by itself. So exciting right. for him. I thought it was great. I loved Brienne and Jamie talking again. I thought yep. that was probably my favorite interaction there, uh, besides some of the behind the scenes stuff, which you can see in the making of the episode, which was fantastic. Mm. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie stroking Liam Cunningham's beard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, wish that was in the show. Um, but the change for Brienne to be, you know, fuck loyalty, fuck oaths, fuck family. Fuck, like, fuck honor. We need to, yeah. Uh, and for that to come from Brienne, I think solidified Jamie's decision uh, <laughs> with where he's going with it. I really enjoyed Lena Headey and Peter Dinklage together again. It's the first time in, what, four seasons 
and since, so oh, first time since like season four since they've had a scene together and it just worked so well mm. uh her facial tics when he's like go on kill me and he's trying to goad her into it were just fantastic and there was a lot that i liked there was some things i didn't like i think everyone was right on calling out john just lie just lie for the greater good <laughs> you don't yeah yeah the show is good at two things. It's good at spectacle, mm-hmm. and it's good at sitting two people, interesting people, next to each other and making them talk. Mm-hmm. And it gets more and more obvious that the showrunners realize that these are the two things they're strongest at because they go out of their way to set these two things up. And mm-hmm. the, the the summit itself was kind of eh. The, the showcasing of the yeah the zombie, it still, it still looks pretty dumb to me. But all of this was to get Tyrion in a room with Cersei and then John next to to Danny talking about Dragon Pit or and dozens, Ron, dozens of those scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Ron talking to Tyrion again. Uh, Jamie talking to Brienne, Brienne talking to the Hound. All these people who had run into each other at some point in throughout this entire show somehow rekindling their their friendship or not so much not so friendship <laughs> i guess so yeah it's it's almost a bit callbackish in in a way that they, they set all these people up again um it works obviously most of most of these scenes but it feels very deliberate well on some level though if you're the writers and you've got 16 characters in one scene and most of these characters haven't seen each other in a year or two or three or four. And there's so many good, like you said, their their one-on-one character things is what they're strongest at. So you know what? They threw them out there, just like they did last week on the whole like Magnificent Seven yeah. thing up north. We got these little moments. And I can't think of any one of them that wasn't successful or that wasn't awesome and that didn't have me cheering. You know, I mean, every time Braun talked to Tyrion or any one of those, there's like 10 of them you can talk about through here. They were all awesome. And and I'm glad because what happened in the story wasn't all that relevant because if you think about it, the entire plan here was to get Cersei on board to fight the North. And in the end, she admits later she isn't going to do that. So the entire plan for this 45 minute scene fails. But all the great scenes in the in the middle of it are so well done. And you've got to admit, Lena Headey is, is one of the unlike heralded stars of this show. She just, you know, she could very well be a mustache twirling generic villain, but she takes every single scene she's in and, and ups at a level. And and I love her for that. And she makes Cersei someone who's not a generic villain, but is really interesting and fascinating and smart and 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 makes it work. I think the problem I have now with, I mean, all of this is great. All these scenes on their own are great when we're watching them and the actors are awesome. I think it is this season because the the, 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 the dropping and quality of writing, this is the first season in which the gears behind how all of these things come to, ha- come to happen become so apparent. True. Because before, all this feels natural. Okay, so Brienne mm-hmm. is traveling with Jamie. Of course, they would have some great moments together on a road. Um, Sandor and, and, and Arya, they had some great moments, um, but they were on their way. So, yeah. 
but this this it feels like the, the, the show is not deliberately trying to set things up so that these things could happen rather than just letting these things happen naturally as the story progresses yeah that, that's a good point because so much of the show is characters going towards something and it's the anticipation of them arriving at the end of their journey and a lot of the fun is the interactions they have along the way and often those journeys are diverted and they never reach their destination. Whereas here, it's almost like all of the characters have reached the end of their journey. There's like nowhere left to go. They've all just, they've fought for so long and they've almost forgot what they were fighting for anymore. And you see characters who are former enemies just kind of walking next to each other and nodding and saying, oh, you're still alive. And there's like this weird mutual respect, like they've both lasted long enough. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, it's like they've all converged back in King's Landing again and and they realize that they can't keep going on like this because it, it's just this vicious cycle that it's just going to end up leaving them all dead um, so I like that sense of exhaustion I did find the interactions a little underwhelming or at least the group interactions underwhelming really? um, yeah like I like the one on one pairings like uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Tyrion yeah. and Cersei Absolutely. and all that but the actual right group dynamic it felt a bit awkward it felt like the characters like there was too many different personalities like having Euron interact with Tyrion Mm -hmm. and Cersei and Danny it didn't I don't know I just didn't flow as well as I guess I was expecting more from Mm -hmm. it it was all pretty much down to business there wasn't really I was I was just expecting those simmering resentments of Cersei and Danny these like really prideful forceful personalities i was expecting more of a clash between those two and that was kind of like halfway through the season that was the thing i was really excited for cersei versus danny but that Mm -hmm. kind of fizzled out and now it's more about dealing with this other threat that some characters believe in other characters don't so they have to convince um but the one bit i did really like was when the white is revealed and like cersei suddenly Mm -hmm. loses control and gets really afraid like i loved her bit of acting in there because she's always so Mm -hmm. controlled and tight and um venomous and bristly and and isolated from everyone but in that moment you saw this sort of panic that she suddenly wasn't in control of the situation like even when danny swoops down on her her dragon she just has like a a nasty word for her but, mm-hmm. but the white really um threw, threw her off um off her game a bit um and, and i loved her explanation of that to Tyrion later when when Tyrion talks to her and she kind of rubs her belly and and hints that she has a child and she said that you know what when I saw that monster, my first thought was to protect my family, i.e. my baby. And and I love that because it, it really, I mean, isn't that what the one defining characteristic of Cersei has always been besides narcissism is that she, well, she loves her children. And suddenly here's a threat to her child. I mean, her unborn child or whatever, but this was, she's saw this thing and said, you know, I may die, but my child's going to die. And, and I, and I love that. It's interesting you bring that up because in hindsight, it's, it felt like that entire scene was kind of an act. Like she always, it seemed like the whole plan, because what we, what we learned about Euron was him leaving right. was part of the plan that this whole, mm-hmm. this whole exercise was part of a, um, a ruse to gain the trust of team Danny. And then betray mm-hmm. them like get them to go north and so it's hard to it's hard to really track 
her psychological journey. And I think there is a lot of truth sure. in there, like the the restraint she has to demonstrate in order to, to stop herself from killing Tyrion felt really genuine. <laughs> but um, she's so wrapped up in deception that I don't even think she knows herself anymore. She, all she cares about is the quest mm-hmm. for power. And she shed a lot of her humanity, but she hasn't shed all of it, I, I don't think, because just, just that yep. act of restraint, there's some morsel of familial bond between them that she hasn't yep. quite cut, but she is a, a fascinating right. villain, I think. Absolutely. I really liked uh, also the on all of that, this scene didn't make me groan like last episode where it felt so forced that all those characters were together and the interactions didn't feel genuine where I feel with this one because so many of these characters have interacted in the past and like with Jamie and Tyrion they've actually they've interacted quite recently I really liked the change you know the anger has gone out of Jamie he understands why Tyrion isn't trying to explain himself to Jamie in the same way that he was before uh, and then in the next scene with Cersei, Tyrion goes back to trying to explain his perspective with, with Tywin uh, mm-hmm. because he hasn't had that conversation with uh, Cersei. And the other thing I really liked was Cersei and Tyrion were costumed in a very, very similar way <laughs> uh, with the textures on their coats and that kind of, yeah, the similarities, but differences. And I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't think Lena Headey had to actually act that much when it came to the white, because if you see the behind the scenes stuff, the prosthetics were so good. The actor mm-hmm. who did it pretty much had a little bit of green on his nose and a lot of his normal body was green, mm-hmm. but his face was that terrifying. So having that rush up to you, it would be pretty easy to act against. Uh, the, the one that I found confusing was the Clegane's. I don't know mm-hmm. if they're hinting for Clegane Bowl next season or... Yeah, deferred. That, so deferred. <laughs> yeah, or, if, you know, Sander now has control of his anger, so he's not going to go and attack him immediately. And, you know, the Mountain is controlled by Cersei and doesn't have enough brains to still have that anger to see his brother and want to kill him. Mm-hmm. So... I don't yeah. know. I, Hinted, it's, yeah. I was, I got to admit, that, that was probably my biggest disappointment in the episode was I was hoping for Clegane Ball. I totally understand that it would have made no narrative sense to have it here, but I still wanted it. And, you know, I, I will admit I'm a fanboy and I wanted it and, and I feel disappointed we didn't get it. At the same time, I feel like it's so clear that they're setting it up for the future that if we don't get it, I'm really going to be disappointed. <laughs> I kind of like the idea that the Hound, and I don't know if this is necessarily how they're playing it in the show but i think that's how how it is in the books that the hound's one of the few characters who realizes the futility of revenge that ultimately you're only hurting yourself mm-hmm. but maybe it's a confusing line because he says something i wrote it down he says like you know who's coming for you you've always known yeah something like that like i'm not yeah. sure what that was referring was he referring to himself like like i'm not going to do it yeah. now but someday i'm going to kill you yeah was he referring to death yeah. like the stranger or something or I think him. I mean, I don't think that the show character understands the futility of revenge at all. The right. book character, yeah, but, okay. but not where he is on the show. I, I mean, we're. I think there's no question we're getting Game Bowl on the show at some point. Whether we get it in the books is debatable. But. I, I think feel like if it's we go back, more coming out of what's always come coming for you. I think is the mountains' own violence that will kill him. Right. So. Yeah, I, and I do think that show Sandor, because of the whole look into the fires thing, he does see the futility of revenge now. 
season five Sandor would have totally charged at him for fun. Oh, do you know what was ridiculous? Okay, super ridiculous. So they're all outside, white in a box, and they walk through the front door, but the white needs to come out from underneath the floor from Sandor. Don't march it in where you marched everyone else in. You had to go downstairs so he could walk <laughs> upstairs with the box. <laughs> I guess Drama. if they had it if, if they had it in the middle of the arena, it would might start like thrashing about and rocking about when it woke up. <laughs> so maybe they had to keep it out of sight until they wanted to present it. Yeah, well, maybe. I do think the the mountain is rot- rotting because the eye makeup that they used this time um, from last time you really saw his eyes, it, it's almost like some of his lower eyelids are peeling back onto themselves. It was a really interesting effect because I don't remember looking at the um, looking at the mountain being grotesque. Like it was the way that he did the eyes. It was not only just skin color, but this time I was like, oh no, something has changed with the makeup that they're doing, and it looks really good. But I don't know if that means he is rotting. That'd be cool if he was. Or if they just spent more money this season. <laughs> we don't know. So there was a few things that confused me about this scene. Um, when she says, "All right, I'll, I'll agree to a ceasefire, but only if John remains neutral," and then he says, "I'm going to pledge my allegiance to Danny." Yeah. Why does that set her off? Like, if Danny has agreed to the ceasefire, then essentially John has as well. And also, if this whole thing is a ruse, why does she storm off at this point? Why would she risk? That, is this part of the performance, or was her, did her pride get to her? Or I don't know. It's, I it's think it was all because... part of the performance. She got to get Tyrion by himself. She got to come back and be the hero. She's like, well, I'm going to come back. And, you know, she came back yeah. in. Right. Yeah. Her strategy here kind of doesn't make sense to me because She's, on some okay, level, she people. Oh, but it does. She it's re- all part of like diplomacy. Is it? Like she rejects the offer of truce and then comes back later, which we'll get to in a little while, saying basically, okay, I'm going to accept no concessions and I'm just going to give it to you all, which we, we later find out's a lie. But it's like, so wait, so why didn't she just accept this here? You always, yeah, it's all a game. Yeah. Well, the I mean, problem with this is that Cersei has no idea who Dan, Danny is. Right. right. So if the like, diplomacy, like if we want to play diplomatic tricks, tricks and traps like this, you do it with people that you know. So her playing Tyrion, uh, and she doesn't know John either. Yeah. And so he, her playing Tyrion, that totally makes sense. That he, he, she's using Tyrion's, who thinks he's he's so smart in in, in, in diplomacy and just tra- trapping him in his own game. But she has no idea who Danny is. She has no idea who Jon Snow is. She he has a guess of who Jon Snow is. She definitely has no idea what Danny is. And she's right. Um, but, but yeah, well, yeah, it turned out that she it worked. But how would she know that this this could work with Danny? Danny flew in with a dragon. Danny could have just burned down the city right there, right now. But she didn't, which may have said something. I don't know. Well, no, well, she 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 didn't at the start because this is a summit. We agreed to do the summit. Maybe maybe you can she can make the assumption that, she, that such a thing could even happen at this point means that, that she could do this kind of things. But I don't know. She doesn't know who Danny is. But was she expecting John to fuck it all up like this or not? It's not clear because I mean it seems like we're all heading to the happy finale here. That that she that you know Cersei says okay I accept your truce as long as he agrees to stay out of our fight later and certainly we know that Danny's okay with this and everything's going to go okay and it all rests on John to just shut the fuck up for just a minute 
And, you know, we get the whole, you know, we, we argue often in these podcasts about the the stark honor and how that often ruins everything. And in this case, it clearly does, because if he had just said, OK, I will step out of it later, then we would have had our truce, which I don't know how that would have affected Cersei's plan, but we would have had our truce. And then John just says, no, I just can't lie to you. I'm going to say that I will not bend the knee and I will I, I have got her side and I'm not going to stay neutral. And and he, he screws it all up and it's up to Tyrion to save the day. And everyone's disappointed in him, but yet they respect him for telling the truth and all that. But yet at the same time, yet again, Stark Honor fucks everything up. Well, not I mean, the first I time get, in the series. I get the impression that nothing they did mattered. She was always going to betray them. Right. So didn't all of these wheeling and right. dealing and negotiations at the heart of it? I mean, it seemed like. Then why back I, off? Then why did she back off here? She should have just said, "Okay, well, fine, whatever." Well, yeah. that's the other confusing thing because it seems like she set up Euron storming out of the meeting, but right. it's not like she knew the White was coming down with them. So what was the cue that he was going to storm out of the meeting and, and pretend to? Uh, yeah to leave her hanging and also Cersei she's she's negotiating from such a point of weakness like she's lost all her armies yeah she has no hostages it feels like Danny holds all the cards this um this power play she she does with storming out of the meeting Danny's there her armies are there she can just invade this invade the city right there and then take it and her, put her in a dungeon and her dragons are there yeah, I don't I don't know what they were trying to go for here. It, it's weird because it all worked well when you watched it. But again, kind of like, you know, the last two episodes we keep talking about when you when you don't think about it too much, it's awesome and it's great. And then when you think about it, a lot of it falls apart. I think that's what's frustrating. If you interrogate it just below the surface, it all falls apart. And that wasn't always the case yep. with Game of Thrones. It used to be a very right. tightly plotted show. Things make sense. I mean, there was problems here and there, but essentially character motivations mm-hmm. made sense. The mechanics made sense, essentially. But here it's um, it seems to be like style over, over substance. I think this whole season has been style over substance. <laughs> <laughs> to play devil's advocate yeah. here, um, when it comes to summits, like if we're just talking about this particular example, the idea behind it, you know, bring Cersei a white. Don't like it. Not a good idea. But my devil advocate's part, it wouldn't surprise me if there is a summit that involves the North, mm-hmm. Danny, and Cersei in the books. Summits happen all the time during war. It's how you get a ceasefire. It's how things are figured out. If someone from the North found out about the summit, came down and dumped a wire and showed it to everyone, that wouldn't surprise me in the book either. It would kind mm-hmm. of make sense. Um, but for the white to be the reason. Um, but I don't know. We can argue about this for ages. I'm right. glad it happened. I'm glad that we, you know, Cersei is shown to be much, much smarter than books, but Cersei. Um, <laughs> yep. Everything is really well acted. I, yeah, it's nice to see these little parts. Um, the strange part I thought was that, that Danny just flat out told John that she can't have kids. He was like, is that, yeah. is that the most reliable person to trust? Fair. Uh, especially <laughs> that, and that was a fair question. You know, Danny has started menstruating again, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we start off the entire episode with Grey Worm, and then he never appears again. 
Like, what was the point of what was the point of having Grey Worm line up all the armies outside, and then you have all the Dothraki come in, like hoarding in, and then oh wait, just stay out there because we're actually having a meeting. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I guess you want to show strength Being or whatever, force, but it was kind like, of so weird. Cool. Yeah, it was just kind of weird though. <laughs> that was why I was so surprised that Cersei was being so difficult because it seemed like Danny was like, all right, this is gonna go the way I want, or I'm gonna take this city um it's almost like cersei's taken the people of king's landing as hostage like i'm gonna make you kill all these people if you don't acquiesce to what i to my terms that is exactly it it's the same as the mad king she's taking hostage. we won't get that till next probably but the other thing too i was wondering about is where exactly is the dragon pit supposed to be in this world because you know in the books it's in the city right it's part of the city, but clearly we are walking through the wilderness. We've got woods. We've got, you know, we've got that whole scene when they're all walking towards it and the, and the two like armies kind of meet like, so where is this supposed to be? Is it like miles outside the city, the dragon pit? Uh, 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 uh. Trying to figure out geography in this yeah. series is impossible. Yeah. It was next to uh, high garden. Uh, uh. It was next to high garden. You can right. see. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> You know, kind of like the big battle, the loot, the loot train battle. Like, where was that? I don't know. But we have a city here, and it's not in the city, clearly, because we're walking through woods, and there aren't woods in the middle of King's Landing. That just doesn't – that wouldn't make sense. Well, there's the but King's Woods, I guess. I guess we're not supposed to think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. They've just, they've just put it outside the city because then you can see the city in the background and it looks cinematic. And, um, and even then, like, would – I mean, if you think – when I imagine the dragon pit in the books, I wouldn't imagine, like, a gladiatorial battle stadium which which admittedly may be what they had to film with so that's you know what what they were stuck with but that doesn't kind of make sense for the dragon pit because that wasn't the purpose of the dragon pit it was kind of a prison for the dragons yeah so that kind of didn't make sense to me either it has a massive like hole when you can see the sky can't couldn't the dragons just fly out or or was right (laughs) isn't the whole point of a dragon pit to keep the dragons on the ground right Anyway, so I'm watching this whole thing, which is clearly in like, you know, a bullfighting ring or wherever they filmed it in Spain. And I'm like, this doesn't fit what it's supposed to be in any way. But again, I guess I'm not supposed to be thinking about these things when we watch the show. (laughs) Okay, so moving on to Dragonstone, Danny and her advisors plot their march north. John argues that it would be better if he and Danny sail there together as a show of amity between the Starks and the Targaryens. As they are leaving, Theon begs a word with Jon. He expresses guilt over betraying the Starks and letting his sister be captured by Euron. Jon forgives him for what he can and tells him to go save his sister. Theon confronts Yara's remaining Iron Men, but their leader tells him that they are fleeing east to escape the coming war. He and Theon come to blows, but Theon triumphs and convinces the men to help him rescue Yara. Um, so I actually kind of like this scene between Theon and John. Yeah. Um, it's an unlikely scene. Yeah. I didn't expect them to be together, but there was mm-hmm. a nice reminiscence about, I guess both of them were in a similar position being these kind of outsiders to the Stark family. John went one way, Theon went a radically different way, but there's a, it reflects some of the pairings in mm-hmm. King's Landing. It's sort of these old enemies where they've almost forgotten what they were fighting over in the first place. And they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're what's left and they've, they've made bad decisions and they regret 
regret those decisions and they're trying to make amends. So I thought that was that was quite sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I love Theon's real um, reflect John's future troubles uh, when he refers to Ned Stark as our father. You know, it doesn't matter who your dad actually is. It's who taught you, um, you know, saying that to Theon, who was raised by someone who wasn't his father. And, and John's about to find that out or might find that out. You know, it's an interesting, yeah, how much it actually changes. The other thing I had was uh, Manjura was not happy about that sailing idea. He just knows that it's way too much alone time. That face is like, oh, sex is going to happen. Right. Uh, which also leads to the interesting question I had, which is, OK, so the two of them are going to sail off together because they said we need to be seen together. But if you're on a freaking boat, who's going to see you? <laughs> well, I guess the scene. we need to see you together, but you're on a boat. Yeah. Arriving at White yeah. Harbor, I guess is what they mean. I, I know, but it was still just kind of um, fun. <laughs> The main problem I had with it is that crotch kicking, was it meant to be comedic or was I it Theon it. accepting what happened to him? No, it took I like a serious, it. serious fight. <laughs> Theon finally standing up for himself and like, oh, remember he doesn't have balls? <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, I got to admit. <laughs> yeah, tonally it was a bit weird because the scene was supposed to be serious and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. his, his, I've got one advantage. I don't have any genitals. You got to work with what you've got. I guess so. <laughs> Or you don't have in this case. <laughs> I don't know. I liked I liked all of the stuff with Theon here. And it's like, you know, I mean, Theon genuinely and sincerely showing his regret for having fucked over the Starks was really good. And, and you know, you've got I mean, hasn't that been Theon's entire arc here is his regret for all his mistakes. And, and he gets it and he actually gets forgiveness for John, which I didn't expect and I didn't see coming. And I liked it. You know, he, he actually says it. You don't have to choose. You're a Greyjoy and you're a Stark. And and that really changes Theon's entire story. You know, it gives him it gives him the ability to move on to his redemption to save Yara, you know, and balls and all. And realizing <laughs> that Yara was like the only Greyjoy who cared about him and he feels love for her. Obviously, they have their their problems, but just there's a lot of families coming together throughout the episode. And I was just like, OK, that's where the last two Greyjoys left. We have to apart from Europe, we have to we have to look out for each other and just him just constantly climbing back out of the sand going back for more beating more beating it's like yes theon get up get up you can do it it, it seemed grim like i thought he was going to die there and then by the way did you catch the one little bit that i really liked is at the very end after the battle theon walks to the water and he drinks seawater i kind of like that yeah you know what is dead may never die he's drinking seawater i like yeah, that, that that was good yeah He's reborn. All this did, yeah. All this did is uh, really fill me with bread for when he actually finds Yara, because it's going to be like when Yara found him, and just not even being able to recognize him as a person that they've been so poorly treated. I just, oh, I do not look forward to next season. Um, will Yara, like, will Yara be like him? Maybe she'll be just as weak as he was, and he'll save her, and she'll understand. Or maybe she won't. Who knows? You never know on this show. I'd just rather not see what you did to her. Yeah, I hope we don't. <laughs> but I think we may. Or at least some of it. Oh, and once again on acting, like Alfie Allen just knocked it out of the park when it yep. comes to that conversation with Kit Harrington. Just so very mm-hmm. good. Oh, nice face. He did good face. That's all I can <laughs> say for the entire scene. He just like, believed everything that was coming out of his mouth. 
over the seasons, he's done a really good job believably embodying these different kind of personalities and uh, this broken person, even though he hasn't necessarily changed a lot. It's not like he's been able to like lose weight and lose his hair and all that, like the reek in the book, <laughs> but just his uh, acting, you really get a sense, like the cockiness from the first two seasons and then his just brokenness and he's always hunched down. He's always looking away from people. He's shaking and jittering and the, tor- the torment within is really well conveyed and yeah. him slowly healing over the last two seasons and becoming less shaky and and this was kind of like him finally coming out on the other side of it yeah we we talked in the after show of my first episode about how theon is just such an amazingly well-written and well realized character by george and how they've i, I think they've made that work on the show in somewhat different ways but still i mean you would never think that this guy would be a character that you care about and that is really important important to the overall story because in 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 the larger scheme of things he's not important to the story but yet he's one of the most fascinating and most interesting characters on both the books and the show and and i love that yeah it's a character you've never really seen before at least Mm -hmm. not in fantasy yeah um okay we might go to king's landing so jamie is planning the march north with the other lannister captains when cersei arrives and informs him that the ceasefire was just a ruse she means to hire the Golden Company with the Tyrell Gold, transport them to Westeros on Euron's navy, and seize the Seven Kingdoms while Danny is busy in the north. Jamie is outraged by her treachery, her lack of forethought, but most of all that she conspired with Euron behind his back. She threatens to have him killed if he turns his back on her, but he calls her bluff and departs the city. As he is riding, the snow begins to fall over King's Landing. Love this. So, it was Jamie yeah. repeating Tyrion's words to Cersei, you know, kill me, do it. But it was also Jamie repeating Brienne's words to Cersei as well. You know, mm-hmm. fuck all this. This is what we should do. It doesn't matter anymore. And her not getting it. It was the first time Cersei was wearing furs. And as soon as she stepped mm-hmm. in with that little fur cloak, I was like, oh, winter is here. Winter is in King's Landing. Ah. It's the first time you've seen people, like, you've seen someone rugged up besides, like, Jon Snow because... Yeah. Apparently he doesn't sweat um, yes. and has no summer clothes left. So, I, and I just loved it. It was just because I'm like, oh, winter is in King's Landing now. And then in the next exact next scene, Jamie gets snowed on. It was so good. Yeah. yeah, it's a moment we've been waiting a long time for. I feel like it should have happened a long time ago as Jamie realized the yeah. horror that is Cersei. Just the things that she's done, like blowing up the Sept and the way that Tommen died and, and just the way she's held King's Landing hostage. It just seems so at odds with what book Jamie would put up with, but it, the way the acting was done, I sort of, I believe that he was kind of enthralled to her and he, he saw her as the only way that there was a way out of it. He saw Danny as this, this kind of mad king returned. I could sort of believe it, but it was not so much the dishonor of it, but it was mm-hmm. more that his loyalty to her wasn't reciprocated, that she'd gone behind his back and done this deal with Euron, and it's like, oh, okay, we're not actually partners in this i'm just another one of your pawns and he realizes that the love isn't reciprocated that's what will uh euron give cersei the golden company though probably the way it is the show is going and and more importantly will dario be running them (laughs) 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 i mean isn't that something they would do on the show like spurn lover comes back to get his revenge kind of thing i mean i hope not but i wouldn't be surprised I'm sure it'll be played by a different actor, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, come on. Huseman is way too hot to get rid of him. <laughs> I don't get. I don't get like why the what makes the Golden Company so special. 
Like they have elephants. I guess. I guess. Danny has a dragon. <laughs> yeah, dragon beats elephants. What's the two of them? Well, two we don't them. have any company of sellswords really in in Westeros that we've seen on the show yet. So I guess that's kind I of. I mean, Stannis came with some, right? Yeah, that's true. But not like a company, like you know, it wasn't well, like no, he, as organized as the Golden Company. I he guess. basically I had an army when he attacked the Wildlings. It like yeah, they look pretty organized. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't see. I don't. I think Jamie puts it pretty well. Like, there's no logic in this. As soon as they realize you've betrayed them, either the army of the dead's going to come down and defeat it, destroy us, or Danny's going to try and come down and roast us alive. At most, all she's going to accomplish is more death and destruction. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess that's all she can accept. Like, the idea of kneeling to Danny is just so out of character for her that she. This is the only path for her just eats at her pride um but yeah she's just a, a time bomb destroying everything well, more, the thing i also find interesting is that this means that everything that john Tyrion, and danny have been working for for the last three episodes mm. is irrelevant it was a failure because i mean that whole yeah. mission up north to get that white walker to convince her accomplished nothing because whatever yeah. you may have think they won they didn't get so everything we've been doing for half the season has been irrelevant because it all failed you know, because surprise. Tyrion's <laughs> journey through this whole season has just been one failure after another. He's misjudged everyone. Yeah. He's made colossal military mistakes, colossal political mistakes. And this was more – was this his plan or at least he, he okayed it? This was his plan. It was his plan. Oh, this and was he, his plan. And, and of all yeah. the people in Westeros, he should have known the madness that is Cersei, that she wouldn't accept this. So really this is, this is all on Tyrion. Did Jamie take – has he just left by himself to go fight? Yeah, he was by himself. We saw him or, out on his horse. Yeah, or well, next time we see him, he's leading like a small battalion of Lannister forces that he was able to, you know, peel off. Unless he runs into them on the way there. Mm. I think that's it. He's, he's alone now. Well, this was like one of two scenes this episode that maybe, you know, want to get out the party poppers and run around with sparklers. Jamie finally <laughs> Cersei. Right. Celebration. He's, he's finally caught up to where he is in the books. Finally. We've all been bitching for years that this isn't our Jamie, you know, and but but finally we've got the Jamie we've been looking for. Yeah. Even if it was in a weird way to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really nicely shot as well with him taking off the glove and the snowflakes melting on his hand and yeah, I assume he's just gonna go north, maybe meet up with Brienne. Should be nice. Fight the White Walkers together and have babies. Oh, <laughs> did anyone else here think that maybe Cersei would have had Gregor kill Jamie? I mean, they were clearly building. Will she? Won't she? It um, it seemed like she was. Like she sort of nodded her head as if it was going to happen, but uh, he was able to walk past her. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, I think it's just similar to the Tyrion scene. She couldn't quite. She's almost all the way gone, but she couldn't quite bring herself to kill her her own blood and i think that's what i like about her you know is that she could have been the stereotypical mustache twirling yes yes i'm gonna kill you but she she still loves him i mean as fucked up as their relationship is you know and it and it obviously is she still loves him and she can't as much as she wants the power and as much as she wants to force him to her will and whatever she can't quite bring herself to kill him because it's still the one she loves and the father of her child do you think she's really pregnant 
I wasn't sure until tonight or until this episode. I mean, I said this last week. I said, I'm not so sure this could be a trick. But I think that her scene with Tyrion, unless it was all a ruse, which I guess is possible, I think she was right. She said, you know, when I saw that White Walker, my first thought was for my family. Well, she has no family anymore. It's only her and her and Jamie, right? But if she has a baby coming, that's a legitimate concern. And from everything we know about her, she loves her children. For all her faults, she loves her children. And she sees this monster coming for her children, and she's scared. And I think that's the key point here. So I guess in her mind, she can see Jamie coming back to her, or she still sees him as the mother of their children. But that's what's so, I mean, let's face it, this isn't your typical TV romance, you know? I mean, it's Game of Thrones. It's fucked up. It's incest. It's weird. Speaking of incest, uh, let's go to Winterfell. So Sansa continues to fret to Littlefinger over her sister's growing hostility. He implies that Arya intends to murder Sansa and usurp her position as Lady of Winterfell. Sansa has Arya brought before the court... She puts forth the charges of murder and treason, but then reveals that the person on trial is actually Littlefinger. She accuses him of conspiring to turn the Stark sisters against one another, just as he conspired to turn the Starks and Lannisters against one another by having Jon Arryn assassinated and betraying Ned Stark. He breaks down and begs Sansa for mercy, but Sansa declares that the punishment is death, and Arya carries out the sentence with Littlefinger's own Valerian steel dagger. The two sisters reconcile their differences on the parapets of Winterfell and agree that if they are going to survive the winter, they need to work together as father intended. So it was all a trick. They actually love each other, sort of. For the record, I called it last week. <laughs> well, I mean, it yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, again, if I agree. too deep below the surface. My, my impression exactly. that a lot of people have been speculating what were they faking their hostility the whole time. I can't see that being the case just because of the way Sansa finds the faces in the bag and and too many of their scenes happen behind closed doors. It, it, I, I can't see it being all an act. I think there was genuine hostility between the two, but Sansa eventually cottoned on to the fact that Littlefinger was playing her and, and I guess there's just a missing scene where her and Arya talk and, and try to try to finally finish him. But I don't know, what did you guys think? How long, how long do we think they've been planning this? I mean... I mean, has it been just since, like, last week? Was it a few weeks ago? I mean, some have argued that, you know, back when Bran first met them all, they may have had this conversation then, and everything for the last few weeks has all been a ruse, just in case Littlefinger's watching kind of thing. You know, we've all hated everything they've done this season with them, and we've been hoping that they that Littlefinger wasn't going to successfully turn them all against each other, and particularly wasn't going to have one of the Starks kill the other. And well, luckily that didn't happen. But do we do we think that it was heading in that direction and then Bran stopped it at some point? Or has this all been a ruse all along? Well, this is what's frustrating because they've never denied us knowledge of what the characters have been going through before, like the protagonists. Right. It's always been through their eyes, whereas now they've deliberately tricked the audience for this quote-unquote awesome reveal but the road they took there was so clumsy and confusing that basically you're just kind of scratching your head thinking was that what was real what was so again it's style over substance they had this cool reveal but we don't actually know the the substance of their relationship i 
I still think it was real, essentially. Uh, I guess my interpretation is, and maybe they'll they'll clear this up next season or in, in one of the documentaries or whatever. Probably not. But my not. Um, <laughs> my impression was that it wasn't until their final her final conversation with Littlefinger where he says, "Imagine the worst thing that Arya could be doing," and she she actually applies that to Littlefinger and then maybe realizes that he's been playing her the whole time. Because just just the way Santa acted, she did genuinely seem frightened. And that scene where Arya is threatening to cut off her face, who was that for but the audience? Like, it, it doesn't make sense right. that that was part of the ruse since it was only them in the room together. So I, I, I think it was quite late that this plan materialized. And I kind of hope it was because otherwise they were just, you know, stringing the audience right. along, which is not fair. Right. Dragoncast had an interesting comment where they were saying that, uh, you know, maybe we look back on these scenes and we'll see a painting in the room with like Littlefinger's eyes sticking through it in that scene. Yeah. And I love that. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> because me. Because, it, it, I mean, there's no question that like the scene, particularly in the last episode, seemed genuine. If they were acting it out, why would Littlefinger be there? I mean, it would make much more sense if these scenes had happened in, like, the courtyard in Winterfell and we've all seen it happen and thus we expected him to see it. Although we do know that he has, you know, just like Varys, he has little birds everywhere. You know, he has his own spies. So maybe somehow they thought someone would be watching, but it, it is weird, you know. I mean, clearly they were the ruse was on us, not on Littlefinger. But I, I do feel like at least a few weeks, I feel like the last two weeks at least have been a ruse. At least I hope it was. And, and I said last week, I hope it was. Because <laughs> otherwise it doesn't kind of make that much sense. But uh, I mean, that would really annoy me because it, it makes, it forces me to reevaluate all of the ways I've been thinking about Arya. And, and to me, it makes perfect sense that Arya is this really disturbed person. It makes sense that she would be lashing out at her sister and not being able to settle into suburban life again and all that. So um, <laughs> that works for me. I don't know. I think they went too far with it. Like it, it went too extreme. It made Arya well, exactly. way too rather stupid than a, and, and, yeah. and volatile, but they could have done it in a way that having, that showed the difficulty rather than coming together as sisters again. Having trouble fitting in is one thing, threatening to kill her sisters another. <laughs> right, yeah. This is this is weirdly in which Game of Thrones, now usually when it fails is when a plot falls apart. This this is when their character writing has somehow fallen apart, mm. which is weird because they have been with these two characters for from the first episode and they should know who they are better than anyone. But somehow it's just it, the, the, these characters just doesn't Sansa is, is OK. I get the doubts from her. Mm. Arya is just bizarre. And the thing is, we barely see anything from Arya's perspective. Right. Right. We're always sort of on Sun through Sansa's eyes through all of this. Yeah, it felt like they didn't really know. I mean, they definitely don't know what to do with Bran because they've just avoided him the whole season. But they've really denied us a, yeah. a point of view from Arya. Um, I don't know. It was nice to see Littlefinger begging for his life. That was that was good. Yeah. Um, just Although this grand figure who caused the War of the Five Kings and had been playing everyone and tearing everything down for his own benefit, desperate and just just the silly grasping little boy that he was all along. And, and in the end, it doesn't feel like the little finger of the books. I mean, I think we all agree no. on that, right? It does. Well, that's another. We've that's thought another that weakness. for like three years, right? We've thought that for like two, three years now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know where George is going with this, and and none of us will until we freaking get a book. But or and and honestly, this may be we may not even get the resolution in the next book. We may be two books away before we get this. But I don't think it's going to be like this. But who knows? Maybe it will. Maybe maybe. 
in the end, he'll be proven to be little by them. And I mean, if you think about it, in, in a lot of ways, it's the most dramatic comeuppance a character could get in this show. Here's someone who manipulated everyone, and he was manipulated by a group of children, you know, and 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 successfully. And then Arya just freaking slits his throat, and and all his arguments come to nothing. Yeah, it was satisfying manip- for two reasons. One, he's always the person in the shadows, like watching events, and now he's suddenly thrust into the center, and right. you know he can't handle it. And two, he's always he always thinks he's the one who knows what's going on, and he's secretly pulling the strings. Right. So to suddenly turn the tables and realize you don't actually know anything that's going on, and you're the one that's being played, is the ultimate. Right. Um, you know, it's the it's the figurative night through the throat before the literal knife through the throat everything you thought you were was a lie and how pathetic he is when it all comes to that too because i mean he he just tries everything he begs he he goes to royce and is like protect me now and he's like fuck you Mm. and and he's like cries and he's like sansa save me oh wait can we talk together can we like he tries everything he can to save himself and none of it works and then are you just slashes his throats and it's over yeah and he knows that he's still trying. He's still but Sansa, Sansa, as he's like dying. It, it's it, it it's effective, I think, and and it's I I, I felt it, it it worked for me, and that's I guess all it needed to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on to the quote unquote big reveal of the of the episode. <laughs> I, we pretty much guessed it from, from the last couple right. of seasons. Well, they um, revealed it episodes ago too. <laughs> they did. Um, so Samwell arrives at Winterfell and meets with Bran. Bran shares the vision he had that Jon is actually the bastard son of Lyanna and Rhaegar. And Sam shares the revelation that he stole from Gilly that um, he's <laughs> learned that Rhaegar and Lyanna were legally married. This would make John the true-born heir to the Iron Throne. Meanwhile, in the Narrow Sea, John enters Danny's cabin, and the two make steamy, incestuous <laughs> love. <laughs> you know, at least Sam was actually listening to Gilly, even as he was dismissing her. I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> so he actually did listen. Cite your sources, Sam. <laughs> Plagiarize so Gilly's Brent, research. Yeah. So the Brent is like didn't bother to look deeper or further, or because yeah. isn't he supposed to see everything? He's so out well, of it. He's just baked. When, when you oh, got sorry, Brent obviously needs like some kind of map. Like technically, <laughs> right? Yeah, like the way we would net is kind of like the internet. You just need to be pointed in the right direction right. and you can find anything. Right. Right. When you've got. Have we bitched you know, about his name? Have we bitched about his we're name? Getting yet? We're getting there. Really? We're getting there. Really? Two kids called name Aegon. Ugh. Okay. Sorry. Well, here's the question. Do we really think in the books he'll be called Aegon? No. Or do you think, do you think that was no. just a nice, or do you think that was just a nice little nod to the Fagon plot, you know? <laughs> I don't know if it's well, a nice, if, if it was a nice meant nod. meant to be a nice nod, yeah, it was meant to yeah, be. Thanks, they failed miserably. If it was meant to be a massive fuck you and then shit on your chest to the thanks. book readers, then they did succeed. They did a very good job of that. First, do you really think they changed something that major? I mean... This is John's name. Do you think they're just gonna? Like, I don't really care enough. <laughs> I, I, no, don't I don't really care enough. I don't think he has he has a Targaryen name in a, in the books. To be honest, I think the other just died. George, you don't think George? You, you don't think hmm? George has figured that out? I mean, I George, think George. No, I'm, no, it's not so much about George. I don't think I, I don't think Lyanna cared enough to give John a name, or Maybe. because she's literally dead. Almost yeah, I mean, dead. Yeah. What does it matter? Seconded. What, what does it matter what Lyanna wanted to call him? 
Ned no. called him in order to protect his identity. Like, it's not like calling him Aegon right changes anything. Like, his name is John. He's not going to answer it that does. Aegon from now on. And, and that's why I don't think they changed it. I don't think it's an important enough thing for them to have changed. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I guess we'll find There's out. There's not so much probably change. In, as, probably in 10 yeah. years when the, when the second, because I don't think we're going to get that in the next book either, but... I mean, it's not so much change as I don't think this is just, I think they just threw this out there for the hell of it. I don't think it's even going to happen in the books. I, 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 I just, there's certain things I think they will change or do differently on the show. I don't think something as big as John's real name is something they're going to change. I just, I don't see it. I don't think Maybe that's I'm a wrong. big, I, I mean, I don't think that's a big deal at all. Mm. That's a thing. I, I mean, why is it? Big deal? It kind of is in a weird way. Is it? But, is it? I, why? Why can't his name just be John They opened the world before? book to uh, essentially like the Targaryen genealogy got drunk and played darts and the first name that they hit was what they were going to call John. Aegon yeah, came up. I think they were just underlining the fact that he was a Targaryen. Um, it wouldn't make right, sense I guess, for, for yeah. Lyanna to say his name's John Targaryen because John isn't a Targaryen name. Exactly. I agree. Well, I mean, but it doesn't make a lot of sense from me. Lyanna's point of view because if we assume the promise yeah. was to protect John's identity, why would she assume telling him his Targaryen name would matter? Like Ned obviously has to protect his identity from from Robert. Is this supposed to be for now? Is this when he well, turns on his 18th birthday? Does he tell him that this was his actual <laughs> name? It doesn't make sense. Maybe. I don't know. Well, she was on her kind of deathbed, so she may not have been making sense. <laughs> she wasn't, yeah. <laughs> making enough sense to give him a I mean, name. I mean, some have said. Uh, tell I mean, what is to call him, but kept like saying Rhaegar's birth. Right. I mean, it, it's pretty clear that this wasn't Rhaegar's idea. Maybe they're setting him it's, up. Maybe the show is like setting him up as like this is this is Aegon the Conqueror reborn or something, and he's going to ride a dragon maybe, and, and conquer the the White right, Walkers and something right. like that. Which, it's kind which of makes sense. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it made sense in a sense I, if you don't ignore that his other son is named Aegon. I just said that he's dead, so I don't think that Aeg- I don't think that Rhaegar would have called him that. But I think Lyanna was trying to, if anything, like kind of do a little tribute kind of thing to his other son, or I don't know. <laughs> I do like the realization occurs as we're watching John and Danny have sex, and it's actually right, like <laughs> literally not as romantic as we assumed, and and also does this challenge Danny's legitimacy? Like, is this going to drive a wedge between them? Absolutely. So I guess it kind of throws a, a spanner in the works in terms of their relationship. Did you so listen? I guess that's kind of subverting the kind of fantasy, conventional fantasy that, that the show's well, been cresting towards. You know, there is a bit of, um, yeah, dark stuff still happening in, in this show. Did you listen to the after the episode? Because they did imply that it will set a spanner in the works. Right. <laughs> he, he completely challenges her legitimacy because she is no longer the rightful heir. He is, period. Right, yeah. <laughs> But if they get married, it doesn't of course really you matter because they can just rule as king right. and queen. Well, they, but will that actually happen now that she's his aunt? We don't know. Well, there's a precedent. <laughs> there is for her, but maybe not for him. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Might be a taboo in the north. Right. So someone pointed out I was reading somewhere where they were saying like, well, as far as Danny's concerned, she grew up thinking she was going to marry her brother. So <laughs> marrying her her nephew isn't that big a difference, you know. Yeah, <laughs> if like, anything, that's less less creepy, right? She's already primed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if this was like they thought it would be a nice nod to book readers. I don't think that was a thing. I think that's what they might have meant. But I, also, they just might be very, very good at manipulating book readers. They know if they mention the Golden Company, uh, which is sworn to like, the Targaryens, if they mention Aegon or John's parentage, 
is Al-Qaeda ramping up for like let's spend years speculating if the Golden Company is going to join John, where mm. Salesforce companies aren't that well thought out in the show for us to know their backgrounds. Um, yeah. I don't think John has a Targaryen name. I don't think jo- like George hasn't gotten around to written it because George is just like, no, she fucking died. That it. She promised dead to keep him safe. That was her priority, not naming her kid. Um, yeah. To be honest, I didn't really need this. Um, I felt like the way they ended last season, where you just see the zoom in on the baby and then it zooms out on John's face. Like I thought that was had a nice poetry to it. I don't actually think him being a Targaryen. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think it matters that much in terms of where the story's going. I don't think he's going to declare himself the king and try and usurp Danny's position. I think the fact that they've basically gotten together implies they're going to marry. So basically, they're just going to rule as well, king and queen anyway. It's a nice just because um, they it's fuck a nice doesn't mean of, they're going to marry. It's a nice part of like the lore and the prophecy and who can ride the dragon. But in terms of politics and the right of to inherit, I don't think it matters that much. But I don't know. We'll see. It could. It could. Uh, I think you're giving. I think you're giving them more credit. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, one thing, well, like really. I said, in the books, in the, I don't in, the a, yeah. in the about the episode, they made it clear that it will be an issue. So okay. I, right. it's going to be. And that said, I mean, even if John is willing to say no, what about all the people around him? You know, what about everyone else? I mean, the fact is, like it or not, John is the rightful king. Danny is not. Whether he bends the knee to her or not is somewhat irrelevant because she's not the rightful king anymore. She, I mean, Queen, she has no claim on the throne anymore. I mean, as soon as this information gets out and Bran has made it clear he's going to make sure it gets out, he, she has no claim. And, no, Bra- you know, Bran has for- made it clear that he has to tell John, not that he has to well, tell yeah, everybody. Yeah. So, but, so I mean, John I, might just get the information and go, oh, yeah, let's just hush this up. I mean, realistically, then we talk narrative storyline. Would it make sense for them to make this a point if they weren't going to go anywhere with it? I mean, I can't imagine they wouldn't. And I, I can't imagine that George isn't going to. I mean, the entire story has been building up to this whole R plus L equals J. And if it doesn't mean anything, then what was the point of it? You know, Again, in both the books and the show. I think it's more well, my interpretation was that it was more the prince that was promised like that was the targaryen bloodline Maybe. that the prince that was promised Maybe. would come from he it would explain why he would be able to ride a dragon those kinds of things um i think the idea of as like this apocalyptic threat approaches i think the idea of who has a right to the high throne will become less and less important um, until we'll it's see. over once we'll it's see, over yeah. once it's over it's important though like well, i mean i also think that it's not going to be the seven kingdoms as we know it like the war of the five kings has destabilized things to such an extent that there might not even be an iron throne at the end of all this maybe i mean that'd be the ultimate maybe sort of this one thing that they've been fighting over this this whole series is ultimately rendered meaningless i would expect that more in the books than the show i i can't imagine the show won't end with someone on the throne i just that would seem weird I, i it may happen the books maybe but not the show one other thing i wanted to say though by the way how much did they go to the effort to make Rhaegar look just like Viserys? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. A few people I have mean, said that, that they kept the weeks from season one. Spitting image, spitting image, and, and well done, and I liked it. <laughs> which which makes sense, because Danny said they, when she sees Rhaegar in the House of the Undying, he looks exactly like mm-hmm. Viserys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the question I have, is will Danny become pregnant? Hmm. I mean, that would make sense right. in terms of progressing the storyline. 
it's a show that's always a skewed convention, but this season is becoming more and more conventional. So you can kind of see that happening because it just kind of wraps everything up in a nice little bow. Danny Queen, John King, they have an heir. That's the future of the Seven Kingdoms, that kind of thing. Um, I did like what Bran was saying about like Robert's Rebellion was built on a lie. And I guess it dovetails with um, the accusation with Littlefinger that War of the Five Kings was built on this lie as well, that Mm -hmm. the kingdoms have been torn apart, families have been torn apart because of these misconceptions and this duplicity and this ambition and people causing chaos and and profiting from it. And if you want to get syrupy, you could look at like John and Danny embracing and, and all that as like, I don't know, the kingdom's sort of healing and coming back together and this you know that kind of thing oh so brony <laughs> <laughs> right right it's so good until the therapy part it's so good until the therapy part <laughs> but well, maybe I, I, maybe I uh, like maybe I... danny's baby will be a white and it'll tear her way out of her and then attack john and he has Ooh. to <laughs> yes there we go and that becomes that would be his, awesome uh, and then he uses his flaming sword to, yeah anyway <laughs> won't ever happen but love it <laughs> there's no way they're going that dark in the show but it would be pretty awesome <laughs> did find it a bit hilarious that like sam kind of bursts into brand's room and he's like i have something to tell you Oh, so much things have happened. And then Bran says something, and he's like, no, wait, he's a Targaryen. It was just them having a nerd off. Like, I learned this from books. I learned this from the trees. But I learned this from my books. I learned this from my trees. I know. But at the same time, I I like that Sam had info that that Bran didn't, although as soon as he told them, Bran went and looked and saw it. You know, I, I like that Sam actually did learn something down there, because otherwise the entire trip down to the citadel was useful. Did he, did he, or, or, or did Gilly learn something down there oh. and told he them? From, exactly. It was like the, it was like the forums or the westeros.org like section of which <laughs> was like discussing all the lore and who's, who's parents and right, right, right. comparing notes. And, and, and most importantly, we got to see Jon Snow's ass in the sea. <laughs> A lot of people online have been raving about that. Just, just for the record. <laughs> at last. Free at last. <laughs> Well, it, it's pretty glorious. In fact, I made a joke because someone was someone was talking about his buns, and I said, "But he, did he have to have the man bun in his hair? Because he does have that glorious hair, and the man bun he's had for two seasons has been hideous. Like we already had two buns in that scene. We didn't need three. Take it out." That's why they killed uh, Thoros. There can only be one, only one bun. Right. <laughs> John demanded his man bun his, was not glorious enough. Kit Harrington demanded in his contract that his bun wouldn't be overshadowed. It's like, sorry, Kit has glorious hair. There's no need for that to be in a bun. That's why the season was delayed for like six months because contract negotiations. <laughs> so, so what's his hair going to look like next season? Because <laughs> it's going to be what at least a year away now, right? And is Tyrion going to keep petting on them doing things next season? What was up with that? Creepy. (laughs) I don't even know where they were That behavior from Jorah. (laughs) Yeah. If anything, Jorah creeping on them would have made more sense. Because he's in the real triangle, or at least he wants to be. (laughs) I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it's a bit weird. How would Tyrion know that? Wouldn't he be happy that, you know, they're kind of cementing the the truce, the treaty? I don't know. For alliance? I don't know where they were going. I mean, I guess we could see it as a strategic faux pas just because of we saw what happened to Rob when he 
married for love <laughs> and all that. So it could be, you know, you're not thinking this through. This could be a, a problem, but I don't know. It seems like a pretty decent match, north and north and south. That's a fair point. But I mean, he's he's failed so miserably at strategy Brennan. this season. I don't think he has any right to judge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's like I'm, you're I'm, the hand of the queen and you don't deserve it. <laughs> I'm so annoyed with what they've done to Tyrion this season. It's terrible. Yeah. He's always the smartest, the wittiest, and yeah, he's gone the way of Littlefinger. But at the same time, they've given him so many great moments. I mean, that moment, particularly with Cersei, was brilliant. Turns out he failed, but we don't know. You know, he didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But it was such a great moment, even if it failed. <laughs> <laughs> even if it was played like a violin. <laughs> Right. All right. Should we uh, go to the last scene, Eastwatch? The other scene everyone's been waiting for. Yeah. Shocking. Never expected this to happen. <laughs> I know. What an upset. <laughs> okay. So Tormund and Beric watch in horror as the army of the dead finally arrive at the wall. Suddenly, the Night's King bursts out of the storm on the back of an ice dragon and shatters the wall with a roar of blue flame. The Night's Watchmen disappear beneath the rubble, and the White Walkers finally march across the Seven Kingdoms. Dun, dun, dun. Right. This is another one of those scenes that's brilliant if you don't think about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I loved it when I was watching it, and, and then I stop and think about how does a wall fall down and Tormund and Beric survive it, and all the White Walkers standing, what, like, 50 feet away survive it like none of that makes any sense at all but it was still brilliant and powerful and amazing and i loved it it's it's weird <laughs> did i king have a backup plan like what happened to daddy was like yeah, i'm not sending dragons you just this get is... away and get out kind of thing did he sense yeah. that dragons were born and that's why he was like let's start moving south do you this know that what's... what's gonna happen was he willing a dragon into existence? Sorry, I'll stop doing my hypotheticals. This is what's so no, frustrating. Like, what was the White Walkers' plan until John and Danny stumble into their lair? It's like they, all, right. they actually cause the invasion of the Seven Kingdoms by trying to prevent it, by yeah. gifting their enemy yep. a dragon. It's like the, the, the last three episodes weren't just pointless. They actually undermined Made it the objectives of the of the mission. <laughs> you know, they, yep. they, the White Walkers seemingly couldn't have invaded the Seven Kingdoms without without a white dragon. Um, I guess you well, I we guess could Danny argue. needed to see the army of the undead to be convinced. And, yeah, I think it only really makes sense if if the White Walkers were luring the dragons there in the first place. Otherwise, right. it's just they weren't as uh, scary as we thought they were the whole time. They were, the war was always going to keep them out. Maybe he had a way to get him through, like, say, Brand's Mark or whatever, but this was just easier. You now have a dragon. We don't need any of the other plans. We got a dragon. Right. Yeah, this is so much <laughs> so much quicker. Stop yeah. tunneling, boys. Yeah. We're going over instead of under. But, I mean, is there any way that wall could have fallen that Beric and, and Tormund survived? You know, I was kind of hoping they would kill them there. No, I, I think the scene is why I found it incredibly hard to, to rate. What I thought was a pretty good episode, yeah, the summit didn't go the way that they wanted but Jamie got to leave Cersei, so I'm happy. <laughs> Sandra and Arya got to kill Littlefinger. I'm happy. Eh, on the Aegon, problems. But this whole he needed the dragon to get over, like to get across the wall. Yeah. It ah, uh, it just really annoyed me. Like the last ten minutes just really annoyed me. Mm. How, it, it was how spectacular. Did, how did his fire sack heal? Why is he just like? <laughs> Spewing fire from his stomach. How can <laughs> wings work when there's holes in them? Yes, he looks cool, but this entire last scene doesn't make any sense to me. And 
things. Yeah. Is he is he shooting like blue fire or is he shooting like ice breath? Because if it's ice breath, I, I how don't... is that how is that bringing down the wall? Because the yeah. wall's made of ice. Just it strengthening just like, it. Yeah, exactly. Is it right. like strengthening? I think it's supposed to be blue fire, but I don't. You know, I don't think we're going to get an answer to that, and, and I guess. But that's why okay. is blue fire different from red fire? And if they just needed regular fire, why didn't they just start pounding that thing with fireballs? Maybe they've been mining like natural gas, and they've filled their stomach. <laughs> <laughs> They're like way advanced. I, I, I think this is one of those moments where we're just overthinking this. You know, I mean, <laughs> impossible moments. Impossible. This entire season always is... do. That's what nerds do, and that's Say it fine. Ain't, sir. I, think, I think there's certain moments you just have to allow. You know, I mean, like the battle last week. You know, there's just certain things you have to. If you shut your brain off and enjoy it, it works. And yes, we expect better from Game of Thrones, and most of the times we get better. But every now and then, you just gotta let them freaking take the wall down with some blue fire or whatever the frick that means <laughs> you know and and did anyone not expect that to be the last scene of the season i've been waiting for that to be the last scene of the season for two years now i think that we it, would get the ball coming down <laughs> i think it should have happened about a season ago i think it should have happened pretty much after john took winterfell and then that would have been the next challenge because it just would have yeah, raised the, t- the stakes and the tension a lot more if they were under attack. Because Winterfell, they've just had so much time to, to do nothing. And, and that's why they had to fill in this big plot line with sister versus sister and John running all over the place trying to convince people and having to kidnap a white to convince people. And But if the, yep. if the White Walkers were attacking, if the threat was imminent, the stakes would be so much right. higher. It would be, you know, it'd be easy to convince people because literally entire well, castles are being swallowed. But the problem is, that's the problem, I think, is it is easier to convince people. I mean, think about it. All of the battles of this season would have been completely irrelevant if White Walkers were genuinely across the wall now. I mean, even until even through this season, up until, you know, the very last moment of the season, there's still just a threat on the other side, a well, way, a little way that we've got to deal with. If the moment they crossed that wall, if they'd done that last year, then the loot train battle would have been irrelevant because who cares if if, you know, Jamie or Danny wins that battle because the dead are coming and they're not just out there somewhere. They're in Winterfell now or they're in, you know, wherever. I, I Mokalan or, you know, where. I don't think it would be irrelevant. I think you would just divide this the season into two different conflicts. You'd have the conflict in the north and the conflict in the south. And I mean, the the, the conflict to take over the Seven Kingdoms is still important. Not with the dead thing. Yeah, but I mean, the dead are only attacking the north at that point. And yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how it would have played out, but um, I just um, we've just been waiting so long for them. It's really lessened their right. their threat in right. my mind. No question. But now they're here, and I don't think their threat is any less. They're here, no. and they've got a freaking ice dragon or fire dragon or whatever the hell it is. And, or as I said last week, a white flyer, not a white walker. <laughs> but, you know. They are here, and they're going to do some damage. Here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Right. And, and we've got six episodes to deal with that and everything the freak house. <laughs> but I mean, when you think well, about they it. Move as slowly as they have since Hard Home, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Stark pops and Winterfell will be fine. When, when, when you think about it, that probably is going to be the plan for next season. It's going to be John and Danny fighting the White, White Walkers, and then Cersei trying to take over the the Lower Kingdoms, and Danny has to send someone to mm-hmm. intercede. Or so it probably is going to be a conflict on two fronts. Um, right. Yeah. But we I mean, because what else is Cersei going to do? What else is Cersei going to do at that point? You know. Do you think all of the political 
scheming is done with in the show now? Is it just going to be a massive battle from, from now on? No, with Cersei still in play, I think there will still be political scheming. I think yeah. that I can't think she of, can't stop. I can't think of anyone else she has to scheme against. Like, there's no other lords in the southern kingdoms for right. to deal with. It's just her. I mean, it's pretty much going to be her and the Golden Euron? Company. Well, it's going to be her, Euron, and the Golden Company taking over what they can in the south Yeah. while Danny and John are busy up north, you know, and, and Jamie, of course, now. But, but what is there for her to take over? Everything. But there's <laughs> I mean, no like houses anymore. It's just going to be peasants. Well, I mean, there's still, I mean, there's still ultimately the land. There's still the entire seven kingdoms. Well, if you keep out the north, you know, six kingdoms. You know, there's still those six kingdoms, and ultimately, she really. I mean, how many of those does she really rule right now? I mean, she's got King's Landing. You know, does she still have you know Lannisport and 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 that and the Westerlands? Well, you know, she kind of gave that up. You know, to um, to our unsullied, so she doesn't have that. She kind of has, you know, the reach, but yeah. I, I understand the geography. Uh, you know, <laughs> I understand there's geography for her to take, but in terms of characters that she'll be fighting against, I can't think right. of anyone. Everyone's pretty much in the north. Mm. They're dead. <laughs> They're dead, or they're, or they're dead, or they're in the north. <laughs> um, I guess there's like, I guess there's like Grey Worm and all that. So maybe she'll get into a fight with Grey Worm, or try and maybe invade Dragonstone and like threaten Missandei. That could, you know, draw some kind of emotional stakes and get Danny back. Well, north, unless but. they're all, unless they all head north with Danny, which I mean, I can see. I mean, I imagine the Dothraki and the Unsullied are going to head head with her, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean, aren't they going with her? If everyone's north, then you don't really have a conflict between Cersei and another right. character, and you don't. But really that have was any... her point. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Like that was her plan, but I mean, <laughs> for the actual plotting of the right. of the episodes, what is there? What what struggle is there for her? She's just going to wade over the kingdoms and take. Well, everything. maybe she will just wave over everything, and then they'll have to come back and wave over her. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> a weird situation. Peasant uprising. I mean, I have to admit, I expected that the that the situation with Cersei would have been done by the end of this season, and clearly it's not. So Same. now I have no idea where they're going. I have I no idea this, where they're going with it. I thought this season was going to be defeating Cersei, becoming Queen of the Seven right. Kingdoms, and then defending it against the White Walkers. Right. Next season. But. And, and I wonder if that's, you know, a sense of where the books are going, because, again, we don't know, you know, will, in fact, this whole battle keep going on through all seven books, assuming it's only seven, <laughs> assuming we ever get the end, you know, will Cersei make it to, you know, most of the way to the end? I would have if you'd asked me, you know, before this season, I would have said no. But now, again, I don't know, because we don't know how different the books are from the show. Yeah, I think in this situation it doesn't help to compare it to what it might be i think the problem with the show and it's not the show's fault is that it's because they can't have hundreds of characters like george did is that because they can't have that option you can't have a feudal system that works because you don't have families and you don't have middle men you don't have barons and wardens and all that kind of thing like you can't do that so so it's much more condensed i think i always kind of pictured Cersei like hanging on by the skin of her teeth till the very end Hmm. Um, I am looking forward to next season um, mainly because of Euron and I didn't think I would be saying that at the beginning of this season 
I am so fascinated about what's happening there. And obviously something very interesting is happening because you not only have Theon going over there, but you have your own use to Cersei. So I did right. not think at the beginning of this season my takeaway from season seven would be like, ooh, Euron. <laughs> yeah. If if you told me that the Ironborn plot was one of the things I'm most looking forward to in an upcoming season, I wouldn't have believed you. But yeah, Theon, Yara, Euron coming together. That could be cool. Mm. I wonder, though, if it's going to be any more than just the three of them. Like, will, you know, I, I was starting to wonder when he said he was going to leave before Cersei told us that she was going to, you know, that she had sent him off to get the to get the Golden Company. I was wondering if they were kind of heading in the book direction since he's on his own. Maybe he'll get involved in some eldritch magics and something like in the books. But it seems that's not where they're going. <laughs> and maybe that's for the best. Maybe it's that's hard, for the best. Or, it's hard to predict anymore by using the books right. because it's just so out there, so off off the right. reservation. Right. And, and if all he does is get the Golden Company and then, like, torture Yara until Theon saves her, I'm not sure how compelling a story that'll be, at least from his point of view. Uh, hopefully Theon's and Yara's point of view will be compelling. I'm not sure how compelling of a villain he'll be next season. We'll see. I feel like he's been underutilized on the show so far, so we'll see if he continues to be underutilized. I mean, they seem to be building him up in the first half of the season, and then he kind of disappeared. Disappeared, exactly. <laughs> and I was really, Which is into, weird. I was really into that trajectory that they seem to be like up until like the end of season four, where it was Cersei versus Danny, and like both sides were making ground and losing ground, and Euron was this wild card. I was kind of enjoying mm-hmm. that. I was, I'm sort of disappointed that yeah. they, they went on this diversion up beyond the wall and right. there was a ceasefire and yeah. Yeah, it's weird because it's like the season had kind of two parts to it. There was like the first four episodes where we had like that whole struggle between them. And then suddenly we went, oh, you know, never mind all this. Let's let's do this whole other thing. Yeah. And, it, and it kind of and it kind of undermined the narrative of the first half of the season in a lot of ways because it made none of that matter. Yeah, it was really abrupt. Um, yeah. I still love all the like awesome. mechanics of the wall coming down. It's like, wait, this giant, like how many hundred feet tall wall come down? And there's a whole army right on the other side, like 20 feet away, and it doesn't bother them at all. And, you know, somehow our heroes are going to survive it. And then after this giant, what, 900-foot wall comes down, right, we're just going to walk over it. (laughs) Like, you know, you'd think if nothing else, the pile of rubble would be really freaking high, you know? Yeah, but it's not as vertical. It's more like spread out. (laughs) I can but that's still a lot. Even if it's only a hundred feet, you have to climb up. Climbing over a hundred feet of rubble is a lot. <laughs> and what was he sure is that zombies will climb over um, other zombies to get to the other side. So you know, yeah. zombie I all, ladder. I was always under the impression that it was like the magic. It wasn't the wall itself necessarily, but it was the magic of the wall that warded off the right, right, the demons, right, right. Yeah. So like, right. it, they're basically just treating them like wildlings. Like they can just climb over it. Well, let's also remember, though, that he took it down with a dragon, which is magic. So maybe, you know, I mean, I don't think they'll ever explain this on the show, but maybe the magic of the dragon counteracted the magic of the wall that kept them out. I don't know. We're looking for we're looking for like excuses here. Yeah, but. we need like a bar, like so a magic the, bar the, at the bottom the, of the, the screen and like like the dragon's magic's depleting and the wall's magic's depleting. Right. The wall goes down. Exactly. First. And then they can run through the force so field. the magic mass is positive magic that's in the wall plus negative magic that's in the ice dragon equals a negative. 
They should have been like magic a shield generator mass. of magic, and they had to destroy that, and then they can get through. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like the Battle of Hoth. <laughs> if there was a port in the uh, wall, it would kill me. It would actually kill me. <laughs> an, ex- an exhaust port. <laughs> they just have to, like, get the drag. Yeah, yeah. He has to fly port. into Dragon the exhaust port. Tiny wall. little point. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that would be great. That said, for all that we give it crap, it, it was a great closing scene to the season. You know, it, it put it all in context. This is the battle. This is the final fight. Here they come. They're coming for us. And they've got a freaking fire, ice, whatever, zombie dragon. And and he's riding it, even though he kind of doesn't need to because he can control the animals. Well, that concludes Kraken Cast for this week and this season. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions over the past few weeks. Uh, you can catch the final American episode review with the Dragon Cast and the final European review with the Wolf Cast. I'd like to thank our hosts for this evening, Dana, Bing, and David, and also our previous hosts, Sarah, Neil, and Jed. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye, folks. Possibly for a long time. Possibly. <laughs> Thanks, Badris. I know. Great job. a fish orgy going on in my tank right now <laughs> i'm looking over and six of my cats having a little scene yeah <laughs> oh. i thought that would be music <laughs> i have like six six cats going at it right now <laughs> wow it's weird they do that it's it's weird and so they, like they actual cats and you have to like tap on the glass like hey, hey stop hey, that stop cut that. it out <laughs> oh, let them have fun let them have their fun i don't care um it's weird though because they do it in a t and i've yet to figure out how that makes sense biologically <laughs> oh my god especially when there's <laughs> this has to go in the after show right <laughs> make it <an alphabet>. <laughs> <laughs> podcast interrupted by fish sex <laughs> Um, that's cheery, though. <laughs> that disrupted our totally serious conversation about maternal instincts and <laughs> well i guess although i guess yeah. my fish i will my fish, sky forever for like fish yeah kind of makes my fish was showing maternal instincts <laughs>